If you're here for the first time, my name's Mark. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, which is an incredible joy and privilege. And um, I'm going to, in just a moment, introduce this morning's speaker. We are in a series called Amazing Grace, going through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And by the Spirit's leading last week, we didn't do the Galatians 3, 15 to 22 passage we had planned. We did Acts 1, 8 instead. I wrote a summary of that Galatians 3, 15 to 22 passage, which went out in an email this week. If you didn't get that, there are some hard copies at the Welcome Center as well. Uh, and we did that because we have a wonderful guest speaker here with us this morning. He'd already been working on this week's passage. So I want you to know, as I get ready to introduce our speaker, we as a church, we are so blessed to have some wonderful ministry partners. And this morning, two of our pastors, uh, Vince and Edward, are in the Dominican Republic at Oasis Church with one of our ministry partners there. And Vince is actually preaching there. This morning, they'll be back in a day or two, but uh, this morning here with us, we have Charles and Jackie Shannon, and uh, they're five kids. They're uh, from Mission Church, which is in Norfolk, right near Old Dominion University. A year ago, when you were kind enough to uh, enable Leslie and I to have a sabbatical, we went and visited uh, that wonderful church. It was a sweet time of fellowship. Got to see Josiah Chandler there. And um, so I just want to encourage you, if you're heading back and forth to the Outer Banks or to the beach, maybe you can plan on a Sunday morning to stop in at Mission Church in Norfolk, uh, and you'll just so enjoy the fellowship with the saints there. Um, Charles uh, planted the church in about uh, 2016, am I right? Okay, after having been there a little uh, while before that. And um, again, as I mentioned, it was a sweet fellowship, and Charles... This morning is going to be uh, bringing the Galatians passage, Galatians 3.23, to the end of the chapter for us. And so glad to have him here. And I also just want you to know, he has an awesome beard. Like, <laughs> the dude has a beard. So glad for a variety of reasons to have you here. Before we hear from Charles, though, Doreen is going to read the passage for us. Charles, you can come on up while she's doing that. But Doreen has so the scripture, so prepare your hearts for God's word. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian, and Christ, sorry, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is God's word. And we declare thanks be to God. Well, my name is Charles Shannon, and I am so grateful and thankful to be with Mission Church's longest standing partner in Redeeming Grace Church. So thank you. Yeah, give, your, give God a hand clap of praise and give yourselves a praise for persevering uh, with, the, with the young church out in Norfolk, Virginia. 
Um, we talk in the Life of Mission Church about our vision for seeing people enjoy the gospel in community, on mission, for the purpose of multiplication. When we talk about the gospel, that's the central message of the Old and New Testament centered on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see people enjoy the good news about Jesus in all of its layers. When we talk about community, we're talking about deep, meaningful relationships across gender and generation and ethnicity and culture, people thriving and helping one another to flourish gospel community and mission. When we talk about mission, at bare minimum, we want to see new people come to follow Jesus, and we want to see those who have already trusted in him and have begun to follow him, we want to see them mature in him, gospel community mission. And when we talk about multiplication, we want to multiply new gospel ministers. We want to multiply community and community groups, and we want to multiply new disciples, seeing new people trust and believe and be baptized and follow and mature in their followership of Jesus. We want to see that multiply. We want to see it spread. And I know that is true of you too, Redeeming Grace, because of our collaboration and partnership in the gospel here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, you further north, us in the southeast, we have the same aims, we have the same ambitions and desires. And I want to report to you that God is doing good work in us. We are fulfilling ING. We are fulfilling our vision. There's a gospel minister preaching right now in Norfolk, Virginia, freeing me up to be with you. Um, one of our, our leaders happens to be here. He's at the D.C. Uh, DTS campus. Michael preached last Sunday about the unity of the church and did an amazing job. And so we're raising up gospel ministers. Uh, we're seeing new community groups established. There's a group in Chesapeake, a city over, a group in Virginia Beach. But not only that, we have decided to leverage our building, which we primarily use on Sunday mornings, to launch a new community center in the city of Norfolk. The Kali Community Center is a great place where we can equip our neighbors with practical skills and offering budgeting classes and art classes and provide community connection, broadening the scope of community and inviting people to flourish. Uh, not only that, in regard to discipleship initiatives on the other side of Tidewater, on the other side of the tracks, we meet closer to Old Dominion University, but closer to Norfolk State University, a beautiful historical black college in the city. We have this new urban theological discipleship and education initiative called the Transform and Train Institute, where we're providing uh, one and two day classes and courses and seminars and biblical theological and ministry topics in the 23504. If I could give you a glimpse of the 23504, you're more likely to end up in the Commonwealth of Virginia prison system than to graduate from Booker T. Washington High School or Norfolk State University. All of the statistics that are negative in the Commonwealth of Virginia, they're significantly above the state average. And all of those which are positive, they're significantly below. And we believe that if you go to a people with love and humility and you open up the word of God to a people and begin to equip them around life and faith and family and vocation, you not only train a people to live in light of God's word, but they'll experience transformation. That's my testimony. And we're going to see what the Lord does. So I want you to be encouraged that 
I was wrong. I, I tell our congregation I was wrong. Maybe I could say it a different way. I'm surprised. I thought God called me and my lovely wife, Jacqueline, who is here to move our family from Chesapeake, Virginia, with our two small children to raise our family and to plant a church family. But now I am convinced. Y'all hear me out. Now I am convinced that God brought us to the city of Norfolk to bring about transformation and to put a dent in the city in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'm thankful for your partnership. Well, as, as Pastor Mark shared, while y'all had gifted him and his, his lovely wife with a sabbatical, they were able to sneak into Mission Church. And they got a glimpse of all of the difference, distinction, and diversity of a people held together by the gospel. And so I want to, if you would just imagine with me before I dive into Galatians 3, what a typical Sunday morning at Mission Church looks like. Just, just dream with me. I want to introduce you with... Uh, to Christopher Jones. He's stationed in Norfolk with the U.S. Navy. 18 years of service. Retirement is in his sight. He came to faith on his first deployment, and he's been following Jesus ever since. He worships next to his wife, Erica. She, she works for a local nonprofit that assists residents with finding affordable housing with the rising cost of living in the city of Norfolk. It's so expensive in the city Worshiping next to Erica is a young lady that Erica has been mentoring in the faith. Her name is Crystal. Crystal is in Norfolk with the Navy as well. She's originally from Puerto Rico. She joined the Navy fresh out of college. Her vocation, her job, she's a pilot. And her and Erica meet and they talk about the scriptures and they talk about theology, but they also talk about the practical stuff of life growing as women. They talk about the challenges of life. They talk about the challenges of working in the nonprofit sector. They talk about the challenges of being a female pilot in the Navy, a minority of a minority. They talk about the realities of faith and, and they ground each other in truth, but they also talk about the practical stuff of discipleship. On the other side of the sanctuary is Brian. Brian, he's a part-time graduate student at Norfolk State University working on an MSW, his job during the day. He's a social worker. He walk, works in the foster care and adoption division in the city of Norfolk, where the children eligible for foster care far outweigh the homes that are willing to host. Brian looks around while the church is singing, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Hands lifted high, all will see how great, how great is our God. And although they don't dance and shout like the Pentecostal church that he grew up in in Philadelphia, it's clear that these people see that God is great, that God is their God, and that they have been brought in a saving relationship, brought into a saving relationship with God and one another. Lakeisha, she's a mature godly woman. She's in her late 50s. She's a, a middle school teacher. She loves her job, and she doesn't want to serve in children's ministry. <laughs> she gets her fill during the week. Oh, but she loves serving in hospitality, offering you a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. She, she wants you to taste and to see that the Lord is good as soon as you get to the gathering. Lakeisha looks around and she spots a younger brother. His name is David. He, he's a cook at a local wing spot. He's going to ODU part-time. He wants to become an engineer. He's on the six or seven-year track to get a four-year degree, but it's okay. He's taking his time. 
He's been dreaming about what it might look like not to move back to Richmond, but to plant roots in Norfolk so that he can contribute to this vision of seeing people enjoy the gospel in community on mission for the purpose of multiplication. Let me introduce you to Jamarcus. He, 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 he's a full-time medical resident at Sentara Hospital. His aim after residency is to become a medical doctor. He's, he's got this sweet deal where he, he gets to graduate debt-free, and so he's thankful. He has gratitude. He feels like he's indebted to God, and so he's going to leverage this medical degree for medical missions once he completes his residency. Larry and Lolita, they are self-proclaimed foodies. They love good food. They love good drinks. And so they left their job at a Fortune 500 company to start a restaurant. They have a food truck. They love pulling up to different places in the city and bringing joy with good food. And lastly, I want to introduce you to Malcolm. Malcolm is a single father of three. He's a very hardworking man. He, he actually works two jobs. And if you assessed his annual income, you would clearly see that he lives in fiscal poverty, even though he works so hard. He's a great servant in the church, and he feels so free and liberated that he can be a part of a church where he is not judged or frowned upon for being a single father because life came to him, and you know he, he brought life to life. He works hard, and so it's refreshing for him to be a part of a church where the Word of God collides with the people of God in such real, tangible, and meaningful ways. If I could describe what's happening in the life of Mission Church, we are progressing in the gospel. We're just like y'all. We have not arrived, but we are progressing in the gospel. And if you told me, Charles, there are some folks who have crept into the life of Mission Church and they are putting all of these restrictions and regulations and rules on the people other than encouraging them to embrace the joyful gift of repentance toward God and continual faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it would cause me grief. If there was something other than continuously following and surrendering to Jesus by his grace, it would trouble me if I heard that report about Mission Church, that the folks were having conflicts, unhealthy conflict. Conflict is good if done in a healthy way, and it's hindering their witness around their common baptism and shared life and fellowship with Jesus and one another. You know, that's kind of what's happening in the church at Galatia. We hear Paul's heart, it's evident and it's clear early in the letter. He reminds them that the gospel that he received, the gospel that he preached, it is not of human origin. That is, he didn't get it from a man. Flesh and blood did not reveal that Jesus is Lord to him, but he received a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it reminds us that Jesus is not hiding. God is not hiding. God is revealing himself. He is making himself known. And maybe there's one or two of you here who are not following Jesus yet. We want you to know Jesus ain't hiding. Forgive me, English teachers in the room. <laughs> Jesus ain't hiding. He's making himself known. He's revealing himself to you in the worship, in the singing, in the proclamation of the word, in the fellowship of the saints. I pray that God would give you eyes, physical, literal eyes to see, but also that he would open the eyes of your heart that you would see he is making himself known. You know, Paul, in the first couple chapters of the letter, he makes it clear that he was formerly a persecutor, right? He was an insolent opponent in, in, in another letter. He talks about receiving mercy, and now the one who used to persecute the way is preaching the way. 
I love that Paul had enough humility to call out Peter because he was not walking in step with the gospel. He called him out because of his hypocrisy. Because Peter would be with the Gentiles at the barbecue, and he'd say, those sausage links look amazing. Give me one of those pork, yeah, the one in the back, the big one in the back. But then he would be around the Jewish brethren, and he was on this, there's no unclean thing that will touch my lips. Peter was confused within himself. He wasn't becoming all things to all people that he might win them and gain them for the sake of the glorious news about Jesus. He was conflicted within himself. He didn't know who he was in Christ. He didn't fully comprehend all of the goodness that Christ had done in order that all peoples might receive him by grace through faith. And so it showed up in the way that he was living. Yeah, I'm talking about Peter, the one who stood up boldly on the day of Pentecost and preached the crucified, resurrected Lord, still making mistakes still falling short. But I love that Peter had enough humility to receive Paul's rebuke because my New Testament timeline tells me that Paul rebuked Peter because of his hypocrisy. He was out of step with the gospel. And then later, Peter stands up, we read in the book of Acts, and he advocates for a full Gentile inclusion into the church. He advocates for equal accessibility of all peoples to receive Jesus and that they don't have to embrace another culture or a, a, a certain history or heritage, but all they needed was faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the point, brothers and sisters? This is a sermon within a sermon. Don't resist a rebuke that might lead to you being able to advocate for somebody later. The Lord will give you understanding. You know, I met on a Zoom call with Pastor Mark and Pastor Justin, and we were talking through these things, and they really, really spoke to my heart because we took a moment and we really planted ourselves for a moment in Galatians 2, verse 16, and it says this. I want you to hear it. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. Y'all are supposed to shout. Yeah, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, 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 amen. As an anchor to the letter, Galatians 3, 23 through 29 is what's before me in light of that background. And I see some past realities. That's mainly verses 23 through 25. I see some present realities, verse 26, 27. And then I see some already but not yet, like some present becoming reality that we must carry into the future. I think this speaks to us as, as churches in the Commonwealth of Virginia for today and tomorrow. So y'all look closely with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Let's take a moment. It says this, now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Uh, I think Paul is speaking to an age. He's speaking to an era. He's speaking to a time before faith came. But now he's making it clear that there's a, a new reality. There's a new era. There's a a new time that we live and we lean into. It's connected to the law, which is why one author said the law was given the role of protecting the Jew from sin, even if it did not have the power to grant righteousness. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Look at verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until 
Christ came. Uh, this is going to be a little troubling uh, for many of the believers in the life of the church is because they know their Jewish history. They're connected in their Jewish, their ethnic, socio-cultural, religious heritage. They are fully aware of how the faith was expressed in times past. And now there's an a, a, a unfolding of God's plan that's connected to the past, but introducing something new. Yeah, that's what's happening. I mean, this has been happening since those years of silence. This has been happening ever since uh, the one I call the last great Old Testament prophet, ever since John the baptizer steps on the scene and he's offering this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, inviting people to flee the wrath that is to come. And then, you know, that scene in the Jordan River, it takes a twist when Jesus steps into the Jordan River John had just rebuked the, the religious leaders. And don't you say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, because God is able to raise up children of the promise from these dusty, rusty rocks in the back parking lot. Don't say to yourselves, we have a religious history and heritage. You better respond to what God is doing now. <laughs> you better not anchor yourself in your religious resume, but you better respond to what God is doing now. And so even Jesus, who had no need of repentance, submitted himself to John's baptism because it was necessary to fulfill all righteousness, which is what he has come to do. He comes out of the water, the voice of the Father, my beloved Son, and we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, Trinitarian beauty in the Jordan River. Things are changing. Things are about to be different. And we see throughout the rest of Jesus's ministry, he is introducing something new that is connected to the past, and he's calling people to respond and to follow him in the now on today. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. That is, the law has a significant place in redemptive history, but it has a temporary place in redemptive history because the law, the writings, and the prophets were pointing you somewhere. Let me say it differently. The law, the writings, and the prophets were pointing you to someone. What's his name? Yeah, y'all got it. I love it. Jesus' ministry, his death, and his glorious resurrection is introducing a new era. Don't miss this. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Christ came and he brought a right standing by trust. Do y'all understand trust? Okay, let me, I'm give you an example of trust. The seats that you are sitting in. You looked and you sat down and you had a sincere trust that those seats could uphold the totality of your body weight, right? Yeah, that's what it's like trusting in the Lord Jesus. You believe that the totality of your past, the totality of your now, the totality of you, you put it in him. You place your trust, you surrender to him. Y'all are sitting by trust. You had a great trust that what would come from the front would be a reminder and a reiteration of things you've already believed. 
but I'm not naive enough to believe that everyone under the sound of my voice has trusted. And so maybe there's a, a young boy, a young girl, or an older man or a maturing woman who you just came in here this morning and you thought it was by chance. And this is the day that the Lord has declared you would trust, you would surrender, you would believe that you might have a right standing with God, not predicated upon what you do, but what Jesus has done. And you just trust, you just surrender. You put the totality of the weight of your life in the hands of the Lord Jesus in order that we might have a right standing by trust. Look at verse 25, but now that faith has come, hallelujah, faith has come. But now that faith has come, y'all better rejoice. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. Listen, he said in the garden he was going to make it right. And God keeps and fulfills his promises. He, he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations through you. And they didn't fully comprehend. Abraham didn't even fully comprehend. But now God is unraveling his plan, keeping his promise in his own time. My God. We're no longer under a guardian. There's been a time shift. Don't miss the shift. Don't be so set in your ways and your repetition that you miss the shift. There's a radical shift that's taking place in the good news that Jesus is ushering into his world. Things are different, and I pray that we are responding to the different. We experienced that, right? 2020, there was a radical change and shift to our day-to-day -day realities, it was a radical shift to the world. And if you just go on pretending or behaving or living as if there hasn't been a radical shift, you know, folks kind of look at you with a side eye, right? I'm saying the coming of Jesus into the world is a radical shift that God invites us to respond to. And the church in Galatia, they have responded, but, but they're tempted to go back to their former manner of life. They're tempted to go back to their old ways. But Paul is saying, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus now, you are all sons of God through faith. The means by which we are adopted as beloved sons and beloved daughters is through faith adopted into a family for all people that exist to bless the nations, that exist to bless all people. Uh, Pastor Justin has chapter four next week, so I won't go into the beauty of adoption, but I'm gonna give y'all some homework, okay? Visiting speaker, guest preacher, giving the church homework. Go and read Galatians 4. Read it a couple times. Um, Pastor Mark will have some kind of quiz or assessment, so there's some, some, some clarity as if you did your homework. But I promise it'll be good for your soul and it'll prepare your heart to hear the word of God next Sunday. To be adopted into this family, to be adopted into this family. Are y'all with me? To be adopted into this family. Are y'all seeing God's glory now that we have been adopted into this family? You don't need a visa. You don't need a passport to be adopted into this family. You don't need Roman citizenship. You don't need American citizenship to be invited into this family. All you need is trust. Trust in the Lord Jesus. I know some of you feel lonely. You're disconnected away from family, but there's a family here of people who have been adopted, who have the same father. In this family, we're a family where we turn away from sin and we turn to God. 
And I know some of you are thinking, Charles, I have done too much to call on God. I don't know if God, I mean, Charles, you just don't know my resume. I don't have a religious resume. I know a few of you are thinking you have a sin resume and you're disqualified from being in the family. And I, I just want to help you. I'm not, I'm not punching you. I just want you to, to hear that, that where you are, I know there's a few of you. Can I talk to two people real quick? You barely made it in here this morning. It was a battle last night as to if you were even going to come. And that battle continued into the morning, but by the grace of God, you made it here this morning. And you've got some stuff. It didn't take you a minute to get into the stuff that you're in. It won't take you a minute to get out, but I promise you that God will rescue you. I pro- Let me talk to one. Maybe I'm talking to one person. I promise you God will save you. Why? Because I've heard, not just heard, I've experienced this reality that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what prevents you in this moment right now from crying out and calling out and asking God to rescue you, to deliver you? I know him as a rescuer. I know him as a deliverer. I know him as a savior. I know him as the one who desires and longs for you to trust to turn away from darkness and to embrace his marvelous light and to be a part of the family by his grace and all the benefits and the blessings of being adopted as a beloved son and daughter. Even you, yes, you, you are included in the promise. Even you, yes, you. And it is not predicated upon your ethnic or religious or your family of origin or where you were born or your, fam- your current family situation is predicated upon the goodness and loving kindness of the Father revealed and made known to us in the Son and applied to us so lavishly by God the Holy Spirit. It is yours in Christ today, right now. Look at verse 27. For many as you as were baptized into Christ, I like that phrase, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Immersed in Christ, baptized in Christ. Y'all know we were immersed in the Spirit. And as a part of our obedience, and we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, he saved us by his grace. Then we followed him in being immersed in water. And I'm pretty sure there's maybe a few of you here. You're newly, recently following Jesus, but you haven't been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'll drive back to Norfolk. And, and, but I would love if you talk to one of the leaders here today. And say, you know what? I'm following. I'm trusting. I've surrendered. I'm surrendering. But I'd love to follow Jesus in baptism. And this church will be fine with the water bill going up, okay? They'll pay it to help you. They're going to pay the cost for you to walk in obedience, okay? Talk to the leadership today. They'll, they'll take care of you. It's not just getting wet. You're identifying with Jesus in a death like his, and then you come up out of the water. You're identifying with Jesus in a resurrection like his. You're putting off the old and putting on the new, as Paul says to the church in Colossae. You're, what you're doing is you're, you're doing what Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5. You are putting off the deeds of the flesh, and you're embracing the fruit, and a life lived by the Spirit. It's as if you are drafted in the first round. You're a first-round pick. And yeah, you still got your story. You've got where you came from, your experiences, the institutions, the organizations, the people, the coaches that have shaped you, the environments who made you who you are today. But then you get drafted, you know, to an NBA team, Major League Baseball, 
NFL team. And now you've got a team jersey. You've got a family. You're a part of the team now, but you still have your uniqueness, but you're a part of a team working together toward a greater good something that we could not accomplish on our own. Y'all see how that works, Redeeming Grace and Mission Church. You want to see the gospel light in every place and among all peoples. We have a call and we want to partner. We've partnered with you in that way so that the goodness and loving kindness of God might go to people, to all peoples. We've been drafted onto the team. And now, collectively, we work together to embody what God is like who Jesus is. And when I use the uniform analogy, it is not uniformity because we all have difference, distinction, and diversity, but we have one Lord, one faith, and we've submitted to one baptism. It's, it's more of conformity to Christ. It's more of sharing in the life of Jesus and seeking to embody who he is and what he is like. You see, friends, in times past, the, the baptism of John was the way that you would respond to God. But now we respond to God in light of Jesus' perfect life, his death, resurrection, ascension, and his sure return. Moses, he, he, he's good. He, he has his purpose in the story. Elijah, him too. John the baptizer too. They all have their place. But now in these times, we are presently looking to Jesus for our right standing with God, him and him alone. I don't know how much time I got. What's, what's the clock say? Two minutes. Okay. Let me do my best. Let me do my best. For some people though, this shift and this change, it brings joy. For other people, when you hear language of change, it produces anxiety. For, for some of the folks in the Church of Galatia, I'm sure their identity, they were like, well, am I in a crisis? Like, like, praise God for all that Jesus has done, but all I've known is this, and now things are changing. They feel conflicted. They're feeling death as if they were crucified on a cross. But they have to trust and surrender to the conformity of Christ not, again, cultural conformity or additionalism to the gospel because they have the sure hope of resurrection, even in the dying, which is why I think Paul shifts for the benefit of the church that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, there is not a diminishment of these ethnic, cultural, social gender realities, right? We believe God created the male and female. We realize that there are sociological and social realities in the New Testament Roman Greco world. And we realize that once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, our ethnic background is not taken away. So what does Paul mean? Well, I think Paul is basically saying that the radical transformation that happens through the gospel impacts everything. Right. Okay. And does it in a way that is consistent with who Jesus is? Let me, let me y'all keep running with me. We're going somewhere. Now it looks like this. Men are not trying to get over on women, but they're concerned with their flourishing in Christ. Women are not trying to climb on top of and put a, put a man in his place, but they're concerned with his flourishing in Christ. You see the radical reshaping? 
Think about the, 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 the master and the servant relationship. Uh, when that master comes to Jesus, he has a new ethic that has been implanted in him by the Spirit, and the relationship radically changes. I don't want to make comparison to slavery in the New Testament, Roman Greco world, and the transatlantic slave trade that happened here in the West. I, I, I want to stay in Paul's world, and I want us to think through the implications of a redeemed, transformed man who has servants. The way he relates to them radically changes. And then if the servant comes to faith, which was a reality in the New Testament world, those who were believing at times they came from prominent means, but most often it was those on the lower rung of society that were responding to the crucified and resurrected Messiah. Well, that relationship radically changes. You know, if you ask me, I think the most beautiful expression, this is Charles, I think the most beautiful expression of, of the gospel working itself out practically is the manumission of the slave. You know what happens, right? At least two things happen. Those who are masters say, hey, man, what are you doing? Why are you treating uh, your servants with dignity, respect, and honor? You're messing up what I'm doing over here. The gospel is always messing up stuff, Right. But then other masters are like, hold on, there's something about this that seems more life-giving, that, that seems to lead to more thriving and flourishing, even if I lose, that I want to be a... Explain to me, why do you treat your servants this way? And it's an open door for the gospel. When you see Jews and Gentiles, and guys, much of the New Testament we know is these ongoing conflicts between Jews and Gentiles, and the apostles are writing letters and saying, you are one in Jesus Figure this thing out. It's like Paul rebuking Peter and Peter advocating for the Gentiles to have full inclusion in the church because they came to faith by the grace of receiving the Spirit and calling on the name of the Lord Jesus just like we did in the beginning. And so there's these tensions. So we, we're not surprised even in 2024 when there's tensions and, and, and conflict, but, but what this text is inviting us into is to be concerned with one another's flourishing. To not to have presuppositions, but to be curious, to ask good questions, not to make assumptions, but to lovingly love one another, not with a generic love, but with a specific love that's rooted in what God has done in the gospel. And outsiders will see they relate to each other differently. This is relevant for today and the future of the church, I believe, which is why Paul says, for you are all one in Christ." The temptation may be to say, oh, he's on that side of the field and he's on that side or she's on that side or she's up left and he's down right. But really what Paul is saying because of your faith in Christ, those things, those, you can have your views and your opinions, your commitments and convictions, but please don't fracture the unity and the oneness and the commonality of your common baptism, your shared receptivity of the spirit, your common father, that Jesus is Lord and the witness of the church to a watching world world. I, 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 maybe Paul is saying that there is equality now in the gospel. The distinctions remain, but we don't use these distinctions to tear you down or put you in your place. These distinctions, we identify them because we're concerned with your flourishing in Christ. You know, that long list of folks at Mission Church on a Sunday morning who of those individuals that I shared about don't belong? They all belong. 
And that's true here, brothers and sisters. You may be asking yourself, do I belong among these people? Is there a place for me? And the answer is yes, you belong. This church, like Mission Church, is just trying to figure out how to live out this oneness in Christ. It won't always look beautiful. We'll make mistakes. We'll have to repent, y'all. We'll have to ask for forgiveness. We'll have to practice the reconciliation, which is ours in Jesus. And we'll have to go back and back and back to this beautiful commitment to flourishing. I like to call it living the good life. The resurrection life, which is ours in Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit. This new ethical way of living as Jesus teaches. It's specifically on the Sermon on the Mount where we're loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, where we're loving the other and the stranger. This is our now in Christ. And this, I believe, is the future of the church. Equality with distinction, but concern with flourishing. Ethnically, culturally, socially, gender, across gender and generation. Yeah, there's difference, distinction, and diversity. But there's this oneness in Christ that is ours. Would y'all pray with me toward that end? Lord, we bless you. There is one God. We worship you this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are.